Our scripture reading today comes from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, verses 15 through 22. Jesus said, If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We're three weeks into our series on Christian theology gone awry. Theological claims that make more than a few of us wonder, do I really have to believe that? The first week we looked at creationism and biblical literalism. Last week we explored predestination. This week we turn to forgiveness. And I imagine that might feel relieving to some of you. After all, it's one of our best selling points as Christians. We embody it every week in our worship service. We confess, we're forgiven, and we share the peace that comes to us as a result of it all. When you look at it that way, who wouldn't be in favor of forgiveness? But as is so often the case in life and in faith, things are rarely as simple as they first seem. What about instances of genuine harm? What about the things we really do want to let go of, but we can't figure out how? What about a person who makes no effort to change? What about the importance of reasonable boundaries? Does any of that matter? Or are we really just supposed to forgive all the time? It's complicated. And it's especially complicated, I think, because whenever I think about forgiveness, I tend to remember the big stories we hear on the news. There was the Amish community who forgave the man who came to their school and unleashed terrible violence taking the lives of five young girls and injuring five others. He wounded that community forever, but the Amish simply refused to hate what hurt them. At the graveside for one of the young victims, a grandfather said, do not think evil of the man who did this. And a small group visited the family of the killer who was a local citizen he ended his own life at the end of his rampage. Don't leave, they said to his family. Stay here. Stay here, because this is your home. 
Sister Joan Chittister, a Catholic theologian, she wrote at the time, it was not the violence that shocked us. That sort of violence has no capacity to shock us anymore. It was the forgiveness that followed it. That's what we were not prepared for. It was the Christianity which we all profess, but which they practiced that left us stunned. And of course, of course, here in South Carolina especially, surely you are thinking about the Mother Emmanuel Church in Charleston. It was back in 2015 that a self-professed white supremacist walked into a historically black church and took nine black lives engaged in the middle of Bible study. 48 hours after having lost their mothers and sisters and wives, their sons and husbands and brothers, the newly grief-stricken showed up in court for the bond meeting. And it wasn't planned or premeditated, and it wasn't all of them, but more than a few of them, when they, looked their, the, when they looked the killer in the eyes, they said, I forgive you. These stories are amazing to me. They are humbling and beautiful. And at the same time, I have to wonder. I don't doubt that these folks were genuine in their forgiveness, not at all. But can that really be expected of all of us? And should it be expected of all of us? Where does profound grief and righteous anger fit into all of this? If we forgive too quickly, do we miss the chance to ask questions about systemic issues that need to be addressed? Why did that first man target only girls? And what hatred helped shape the second man? And what role do all of us play in misogyny and racism? If we forgive, do these hard questions get glossed over? And if they do, how do we ever change enough to ensure that someday these sorts of things will stop happening? What does forgiveness really and authentically and faithfully look like in these moments and in the midst of these questions? complicated. I've told you about my preaching group before. We meet once a year and we write papers on biblical texts and we read them aloud to one another and we discuss every single one of them at length and it is wonderfully nerdy. And it has helped me not just to become a better preacher but to become a better Christian too. A few years ago, my friend Drew wrote a brilliant paper on forgiveness. He traced how and when it shows up throughout the entire Bible. And a number of the observations I share with you about scripture today are his. In the Old Testament, forgiveness is God's domain. People mess up. God rebukes us and warns us. People mess up again and sometimes worse. God gets angry, understandably and righteously angry. But then that anger is followed by a promise of restoration and mercy. God is the one who is able to forgive, and God can be trusted to do it. Like we sang earlier in this service, there's a wideness in God's mercy. In the Old Testament, 
Forgiveness is God's business. It's Jesus' teaching on the matter that complicates everything. There's the story about a paralyzed man who's brought to Jesus on a stretcher. Before Jesus heals him, he declares that the man's sins are forgiven. Everyone is astonished and amazed, and some are even a bit offended, more so by the forgiveness of sins than by the fact that a recently paralyzed man just got up and walked away. Their shock is because forgiveness has always been God's business. And all of a sudden, here is Jesus, who seems to be suggesting that forgiveness is not just God's responsibility. It's ours, too. Then there's the time Jesus says, before we pray, we're supposed to forgive anything we have against anyone. Anything. Anything against anyone. Before we utter a single word of prayer. I imagine it's true that we connect better with God when our hearts are not distracted. But should we really not pray if we haven't forgiven everything? Isn't one of the reasons we pray to admit the things we struggle with? What if the reason I most need to pray today is because there's someone I really can't forgive? And of course, there's the line in the Lord's Prayer the prayer that Jesus teaches us to pray. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Whatever the translation, we ask God to forgive us the way we have forgiven others. The measure we receive is parallel to the measure we give If we want unconditional forgiveness, we have to extend unconditional forgiveness. The standard Jesus is setting here seems awfully high, maybe even dangerously so. It's worth noting that professionals of all sorts, from biblical scholars to practicing pastors to psychologists and social workers and psychiatrists, all talk about forgiveness as something we do more for ourselves than for the other person or persons. We need to forgive because we need to move on. It's less about offering any sort of absolution and more about letting go of our own anger and hurt, our own resentment and pain. It's considered a step toward healing. That is true a lot of the time. But as all of those very same professionals would note, it's not true all of the time. Insisting that forgiveness is part of healing That can add a massive burden to someone who is already living with the heaviness and harm of trauma. It puts one more barrier in front of someone who is working their way through a difficult past. And there is nothing faithful about that. Jesus himself makes this clear in today's scripture reading. Yes, there's the story about forgiveness being our business. And yes, there's the story about forgiving anyone and anything. And yes, there's the whole forgive us as we forgive. 
But there's also the conversation that Jesus has with Peter. When forgiveness is linked with honest confrontation and the need for a change in behavior and setting healthy boundaries. When someone wrongs you, you talk with them. If that doesn't help, you bring in someone else for support and you go back to them. If that doesn't help, you bring in the community. And if there's still no change, you separate yourself. The system that Jesus lays out to Peter, it's not perfect. In human hands, it has sometimes led to harm. Sometimes this teaching has been used to shun or excommunicate people. But if interpreted rightly, there is tremendous wisdom here. Naming harm that has been done and holding one another accountable and maintaining boundaries is as holy and essential as anything else Jesus has to say about forgiveness. Because there is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Sometimes reconciliation is appropriate and possible, but sometimes it's not. Forgiveness does not mean that you have to be friends with the cousin who ridiculed you. And it does not mean that you have to sit down to dinner every night with an ex-spouse that abused you. And it certainly does not mean you are expected to stay in any sort of dangerous situation. There is a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And forgiveness might lead to reconciliation. It might. But reconciliation is not required for forgiveness. Forgiveness is really the internal work that we do. It's the internal work that we go through over time. It's maybe best to say it's the internal work the Spirit does in us over time. Jesus says right in the reading from Matthew that forgiveness is something we experience again and again and again. It's ongoing. It's not necessarily unconditional. It's not black and white. It's certainly not one and done. It's a process. It's a process that we endure seven times or 77 times or even more if that's what it takes. Forgiveness is something we strive toward, both for ourselves and the other person, because to be forgiven an offense is to be set free, and to forgive an offense is to be set free. What we bind, we're bound to, and what we set loose, we're freed from. It might take time, it might take seven times or 77 times or 700 times because forgiveness is not simple or straightforward. That's why Jesus' teaching on forgiveness is not simple or straightforward. My favorite story about forgiveness is actually one we haven't gotten to yet. It's from the Gospel of John. 
After Jesus has died, his disciples are huddled in a locked room, and they are terrified. They're wondering if they're going to be next. When push comes to shove, you see, they'd left Jesus. They'd run. And now they were behind locked doors, held captive by their own fear, but probably also by guilt and regret as well. Then Jesus appears, and his very first word is peace. Peace be with you. Not a word of anger or accusation, just peace. And then he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. The first word, the first act of the risen Lord to his terrified followers is one of forgiveness. He is the victim. He has every right to come back with a vengeance. But that is not the way of the resurrected Lord. It's then, it's only then after he's forgiven them that he gives them the power to forgive others. John puts it this way, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. No ultimatums or requirements about who they forgive and who they don't. Just an observation that from now on, forgiveness is possible. He gives them the gift of that possibility. That's the important part, I think. We're forgiven by the victim. And that forgiveness is what empowers our forgiveness. Forgiveness in any and all of its forms is ultimately a gift. It's not something that we can force or achieve. It's not an item that we check off of a to-do list. It is a gift. That's why when Paul talks about forgiveness in all of his letters, he uses a Greek word with dual meaning. It can mean forgiveness, but that same word can also mean gift. Of course he uses that word, because that's what forgiveness really is. Forgiveness doesn't erase harm, and it doesn't nullify the need for accountability or boundaries. It does not require reconciliation. But by God's grace, because we're forgiven, we can forgive others more than we might have ever thought possible. It can happen in a flash, in a moment, the way it did for the Amish community or for the church in Charleston. It can be in an immediate and miraculous gift. But it can also be a slow miracle, one that, one that unfolds over time, one that takes tremendous effort, a process that takes seven times or 77 times. But whenever it comes, and however it comes, it is, at least in part, a gift. So if you have unhealed hurt in your life, Hear that, because forgiveness is complicated. It really is. And to pretend otherwise would not only dishonor our own experience, it would dishonor the one who walks through our every experience with us. 
I think that's why Jesus had so much to say about forgiveness, because it's too complicated and complex for sound bites and pull quotes. But in the midst of that complexity, the bottom line is this. Forgiveness is a gift that we're given. That we are forgiven is sheer grace. And whatever forgiveness we're ultimately able to offer, that's sheer grace too. If I understand it, that's the forgiveness that's worth believing in. Because there is still one more story to tell. The story of how when Jesus was on the cross dying, he spoke. The Gospels tell us he spoke seven times. And when he spoke, he didn't say, you'll pay for this. And he didn't say, I hate you. And he didn't say, you are beyond all hope. He didn't curse and he didn't rage. He hung there and he said, Father, forgive them. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.